in our living room at home, we have a cross that's made out of wood and it's got some aluminum and vinyl letters or some kind of stencil. It just says, it is well with my soul. And all of us, all four of us, brothers and sisters, we, we have either that or something with that on it because that was what my mother, our mother, loved to sing and hear played a lot was it is well with my soul and I guess and I haven't planned to ask this at the beginning of this but I I, I guess I need to ask you that before we even do this is is it well with your soul and that doesn't mean have you been to church or uh, anything else I guess is it well to the point that if you were to breathe your last breath right now, there wouldn't be any hesitation in saying, I know that I am ready to stand before God. That's the kind of it is well that we need to ask. And I want you to think about that this morning during the rest of this service. And I know God's here. I know God's where you are. I, I just feel the Lord and the Lord's been dealing with me this week about this particular passage. And I want to start off by saying for over three or four weeks now, we've been talking about faith. And I hadn't planned to start off talking about uh, faith three or four weeks ago. But the more I talk about it and preach about it and pray about it, the more I see that this is, this is something that, has to be in operation and in place for God to do these awesome things that He is going to do through the body, through the church. Faith has to be in place. I don't mean just saving faith, but I mean true faith. And we've been looking at faith from people like Elijah, you know, and Elisha, and, and last week Rahab, and we're going to look at a, a Roman centurion in just a minute, but today I want to talk about your faith, and I want to talk about my faith. I want to talk about your faith, and what does it look like, and even though I'm referring to salvation somewhat, I'm referring to that action, faith that's in action, not just a word that's part of the Christian lingo. I'm wondering about your faith today. I'm wondering about our faith here at the church because I'll tell you that it's, it's faith that is going to play a great part of the greater things that the Lord said that He would do, that He would leave us here to do. And I believe that revival and all these greater things of God is going to be present and, and is going to be an automatic response of where there is true faith. You know, uh, some Christian TV um, preachers or pastors or shows, they've monopolized and for personal gain about faith, and they will use it to do everything from, you know, pack out an auditorium when you could do that or, or just take up gobs of money to buy everything from planes, trains, to automobiles, and homes, and jewelry, and all these other carnal things. 
But I'm talking about real faith because real faith is something that when it is present, there is a divine response every single time. Every time. Faith is not something that you just have as a Christian and it works sometimes and then other times it don't really work. The times that it doesn't work is the times when it is absent. Biblically, there is no way true God-given faith can be in operation and the hand of God not respond. It's impossible. You cannot find it in God's Word. From Genesis to Revelation, you can't find it. Real faith, real faith is risky faith. Real faith is risky to the flesh too. Real faith is something that, well, let's take Abraham for instance. To the eyes, when you have real faith that takes your only boy up to Mount Moriah with the wood and the fire and the knife, and real faith doesn't just talk about it at a Sunday school class or a Bible study or during a message. Real faith looks like this. It's walking up a mountain with all these items and with your son holding your hand. That's what real, and it's risky. And it's never comfortable. But real faith is what produces divine response every single time. There's a story about this centurion, this Roman centurion, that I want to draw your attention to this morning that's found in the seventh chapter of Luke. And it's important that you turn there, if you can, in your Bible, on your phone, whatever you have. And I want you to just... Follow with me as I read these scriptures to you. Now, when he concluded all his sayings in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum, and a certain centurion servant who was dear to him was sick and ready to die. So when he heard about Jesus, he sent elders of the Jews to him pleading with him to come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they begged him earnestly, saying that the one for whom he should do this was deserving, for he loves our nation, and he has built us a synagogue. Then Jesus went with them, and when he was already not far from the house, the centurion sent friends back to Jesus, saying, to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy that you should enter under my roof. Therefore, I did not even think myself worthy to come to you, but say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man placed under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this. And he does it. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him and turned around and said to the crowd that followed him, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. And those who were sent 
returned to the house, found the servant well who was sick. Now, when you read this account of this Roman centurion, he was not even part of the Jewish sect. He was a Roman centurion. Let me tell you about that for just a minute. Romans really didn't have any use at all for Jews or their customs or their God or anything else. In fact, if you study history, it is said that many Christians suffered horrific executions by being either nailed or tied to crosses that line a Roman street and as a way of punishment for serving Jehovah God, they would tie them and mount them to a cross and light them on fire and line the street. And that's how they would light up the streets of Rome. Roman candles, if you will. So they didn't really like Jews, but for this man to not only love Jews, love the Jewish faith, the God they serve, even to the point of building a synagogue, it tells you why his faith was extraordinary. It's almost like saying a person that shouldn't have faith or even know about faith has extraordinary faith. And so there's three things about this man that I want to draw out real quick or really just point out about the type of faith that he had. The first thing is he had enough faith to even take it to Jesus. He knew that with his servant dying, it kind of tells you what kind of man he is anyway, that he, he cares enough about his servant to want him whole and want him well. And so it tells you that he had enough of faith in Jesus to actually take it to Jesus. And while you're kind of letting that marinate or you're writing it down, I want to ask you, are you just quick to take a pill before you even pray, even a vague, faithless prayer? And you see, society has groomed us. We don't even really pray about anything anymore. I believe in the body of Christ. We, we don't pray unless it's beyond the point of what a doctor can do or if it's a treat or a toy or an amount of money we want. We don't really even bother God anymore with even a faithless prayer. We just, because, see, this is the, the day we live in. We can meet so many of our own needs. We don't even need God. This gentleman right here, he had enough faith in Jesus to say, listen, this is is something that this man Jesus that I've heard about, this is something that I know that he can do something about. The second thing is he had faith enough to remain humble before Jesus. And I think it tells so much about him and where he stood that with him being a man of authority, now listen to this, being a man of authority and in control, that when it came to the subject of Jesus Christ, he didn't even think that he was worthy enough to even go take it to Jesus. And the Bible says that's why he sent other people in his place. That not only did he not take it to Jesus, 
But the more he thought about this, and he dwelled on this, when Jesus was right there at his house, listen, he didn't even, he stayed humble. He didn't even think Jesus ought to even come into his house. First of all, he wouldn't go to him because of humility and feeling unworthy to even ask such a great God to come into his little house. And the second thing is, again, that when he got near, now let me just stop here for a minute because if this had happened right now, what most people would have done, they would have known that he was getting close and, and this is what they would have probably done. Now, I mean even Christians now. Oh, he's here, I need to straighten up. You know, all the other house is in a mess, but he's going to be right here. We're going to clean this, this room up. We're going to set it up. And then when he walks in the door, the first thing we do, wait a minute, Jesus, hey, I know that he's sick, and you, you, can, you can resuscitate him in here, but I want to get a selfie right quick, okay? Me and Jesus doing it. Listen, you cannot find humility in the pulpit, in the pews. You can't find it anywhere. And it's really bad, but it's really bad among young ministers. And so many young ministers... They pattern what they do, the way they deliver a message, the way they dress. They, they pattern it after some... They idolize other people that idolize things of this world. And let me just say something for a moment about what I'm saying now. And that's to tell you that we gleaned from so many fields, from the music to the way we carry on things... I believe, don't reinvent the wheel. If this works over here and you can draw from that, do it. We do it all the time. I'm not saying that, but I'm saying that it fully takes control over the image that God is inside of me that he wants to live out through me. You can't find that anymore, and you can't find humility because that means I have to die in what I want, and I've got to... Uh, let only the Lord do what He wants to do through me. So you cannot really find, and, and this is why I'm bringing this up, if you can't find humility, you're not going to find faith. You're going to find a faith talk, you're going to find faith uh, subjects, and you're going to find examples that people talk about of other people's faith, but you're not going to find faith. And this man had faith enough to not just be humble, humble at the beginning. But the Bible, I love it because Luke said, when Jesus wasn't far from his house, and, and again, I would have probably said, well, he's this close, I might as well let him on in, even though I shouldn't even let him come in my house because he's a great God. I think it tells us so much about how to approach the Lord when it comes to this thing called faith. We've got to stay humble. The Lord says, if you will humble yourself, and that takes faith. I'm believing that, you know, I'm not going to try to be what uh, a loose word we joked around for years, SG. I'm not going to try to be a show glory, but I'm just the glories on the floor. What does that mean? I say it a lot. The glories at the foot of the cross. Let the Lord lift me up. Let the Lord exalt me, not me. And when you refuse to be a person of humility, you may as well be a status quo boy or girl, man or woman because you're not going to see great faith in your life, and you're not going to see divine responses in your life. The third thing about this guy 
that he teaches us was that he had faith enough in the authority of Jesus Christ. He had faith enough to know that not only shouldn't Jesus come to his house, I should just send other people and I can really give this to Jesus. But I love this, folks, because he had faith enough in the very word that Jesus would speak. The Bible says that God, I've already said it this morning, has given him a name that's above every name. And this centurion knew that if the lips of Jesus Christ would just speak, that demons have to flee, certainly this sickness has to flee. And this is what God is looking for, folks. He's looking for us to have this kind of faith. And you know, Jesus was always moving. And the Bible uh, lets us know, you know, that when we follow Jesus, Jesus didn't hang around Jerusalem all the time. It tells us that uh, Capernaum was somewhere around like 120 miles north of where Jerusalem was. So that meant that Jesus, well, everywhere he went, he was looking for faith. It wasn't just around his neighborhood, around his home. And what does God want us to know about this? And for me bringing this out this morning, it's to let me know that everywhere you go, Jesus is looking to work in your life and work in a faith way in your life and my life. And I, I, I like this because it sounds like Wednesday night because when we started talking about Peter and John and a certain man, and I told you if you remember, a certain lame man laid at the gate. And I told you that the Lord God will always put certain types of people, certain opportunities in our paths Will we do it. And again, this starts off by saying that a certain centurion just happened to get into the path of Jesus again. And there are people in our paths, even among the coronavirus, where it seems like all of us are limited. There are people at work, there are people in your circle, where you do go shop, where you do get out to some degree. There are people that need a spirit-filled, faith-believing follower of Jesus Christ just like it might be 120 miles away at the beach or it could be up the road, it could be in your backyard or at work. But the Lord God is looking everywhere you step your feet for Him to be able to find faith and He will recognize your faith like He did this centurion when you exercise your faith. In fact, we don't really have faith like we should at all because as I've already told you, we don't see miracles, we don't see divine outpourings, we don't see moves of God in our lives, and don't you mistake a big crowd for the move of God. It's not the same thing. There were 4,000, 5,000, 7,000 people that ate fish and bread one day, but it did not mean that they were interested in a move of God. All they were interested in was filling their bellies and they left. I'll even go a little bit closer to the ascension of Jesus Christ. All of these thousands of people. And then after Jesus arose from the grave, I'm repeating myself, I know I am, but the Bible says that 500 people at one time saw Jesus Christ, but they must not have really been convinced or moved enough to have faith 
to do what he said, and that's to go to the upper room because we're told only about 120 landed in that upper room. So you see, big crowds doesn't mean big things are happening. It just means there's a lot of people there to get food and fish and bread and be in a big crowd. And not all big crowds are bad. Not all large churches are bad. Not all small churches are bad. But what is bad is when we profess to know Jesus Christ and we don't operate in the faith that He's given us. Every time, every time faith was present, divine intervention was present. And I want to just tell you that I personally believe that Jesus gave us faith. I do. I believe that He gave us, the Bible says, a measure of faith because He knew that we would be on this earth. Now, there's only a half a dozen people sitting in here, but... I want to talk to y'all and everybody watching. He knew, listen to me, that there would be a devil that would be after us every second of our life. And he knew that he would never leave us nor forsake us. And there's two things that he wanted to make sure that we had, along with prayer and the Word, to be able 24-7 to drop the devil like he's a bad habit anytime he comes knocking. One is to be spirit-filled, but the other one is to be full of faith that is active. And what do I mean by that? I mean that he knew that every time the devil come around, if you got faith the size of a grain of a mustard seed, he said, you can talk to this mountain and say, hey, I want you to be moved over there because God can be glorified by this taking place. And that's what it all, see, staying humble, keeping it a God thing. That's why people were able, other than Jesus, to speak like Peter and John and a lame man get up and walk. Other people were able to lay their hands on blind eyes. Other people were able to pray for dead people. still happened way after the disciples all died out, by the way over and over again, but you only hear about it now over in third world countries where they have nothing but their faith. And so God's doing great things. You can Google this stuff. You can look it up. You can research it if you care to, and you'll find out that God really is still moving and responding to where there's real faith at. But you're going to do like this story tells. You're going to find it in in an unlikely place. And this week while this was on my mind, It's like I imagine God sitting up in heaven and standing there folding his arms and says, wait a minute, all of this is going on with all this, the the civil rioting going on, the unrest, the coronavirus, the politics that are so predictable. This sin, it's Sodom and Gomorrah times a million. It seems like all of this is going on, and it seems like God is saying, but wait a minute. I made you, I made you in you. I made you in my own image, he said. I made you in my image. God said, what's going on? I made you, and I gave you a measure of faith. I gave you a measure of faith. Anything. 
I told you mountains could be moved, rivers could be parted, blind eyes could be opened, and if that wasn't enough, I told you that if you would have a measure of faith, that greater things would be... Why are you getting whipped and outnumbered by the world right now? You don't have faith. You don't have faith. I gave you a measure of faith. Well, when you hear that, what, what comes to your mind? A lot of times, I know a seed comes to your mind. But I want to ask you this morning to take a look at this right here. You know what this is? That's the sweetest grandbaby in the world, spoon. That's what it is. It's a baby spoon, though. It's a baby spoon. When, when the Lord gives us a measure of faith, He's giving us what looks like in our eyes a baby spoon. Now, it's small. He said it's small. But this is what I love about God. He said, it's, it's all you need. It, it, it's all you need. You just need this right here. Now, that's what it looks like to God. Because he said, on earth, the devil, Satan, Sakimokas, darkness, evil, all the causes going on, that's all you need on earth. I mean, hey... I created heaven and earth. This will take care of anything you ever face. That's what it looks like. And, and it's as if he says, I'm giving you this. You're born, you're a believer, and I'm going to give you a measure of faith. We get that measure of faith. We look at it, and... All we do our whole Christian life, I'm talking about you've been filled with the Holy Ghost 40 years. You've served every capacity of church you could serve. You've been on mission trips. You've given gobs of money. You've done it all. But you've been clowning around with faith the whole Everything can be identified as a believer in your life, tithing everything but real divine move and causes of faith, everything. And you just play around with it. You clown around with it your whole life. And if, if something never happens that you pray about, the, the new thing going, it's not really new, what, what we do, we, we say, well, it must not have been God's will. You know, we just pray, God, your will be done, and we do. We pray, God, your will be done. But I want to tell you something about that measure of faith. That's, God said that's all you need. But in the spirit world, in the kingdom world, this is what that measure of faith, that little baby spoon looks like. To us, it's like having not a little baby spoon, but it's a mountain-moving faith. If there's a mountain of, of depression in your way, look. That right there is all you need. But when you come to that mountain, when you face the devil in the morning, when he comes against your marriage, when he comes against your home, when he comes against your family, when he comes against your health, your finances, your sanity, when he comes, he doesn't see a baby spoon. He sees, oh my goodness alive, they're coming with that big old shovel and all they got to do is speak the name of Jesus and I'm out of here. You see, we spend our whole lives 
playing around. We lick our wounds. We'll take pills. We'll go see people to try to talk us down. We'll watch meditation or some kind of, uh, what do you call them, uh, a motivational preachers on TV just to tell us to read a good book instead of getting in the book and walking by faith in the book. And God says, I don't understand what's going on in the world right now. I don't understand why the church is letting the devil and everything he's doing wreak havoc when all you got to do is just use your baby spoon. All you got to do is say, I don't know. I don't know why he's asking me to walk up this mountain with my baby. But I do know this. I'm doing it by faith. And I do know this. Me and the lad is going to worship and me and the lad will return. That's what Abraham said and that's what God wants me and you to get back in our heart today because God wants to do great things in the church and like I've already been told months ago, I wonder if the Lord allowed all this to happen to find out really who is saved and who's in love with Jesus and who's on their way to heaven. I don't mean in the world. I mean in the body of Christ can you really take time still away when you can't get the church because a lot of people over the past four months when they could just watch a little bit of uh, internet multitudes or whatever they wouldn't probably do anything else but now this is all you have are you spending time are you walking by faith are you leaving it up to when the church gets back together God wants me to tell you this morning he gave you faith so that you could use it. It is scary. It will scare you to death if you look at it through eyes of flesh. Peter had it when he got out of the boat, but then he quit it very soon. And when you don't keep faith, walk by faith, you sink like he sunk. So I want to ask you this morning, do you want to see a mighty revival? I do. I want the Lord to come back. I want to go home, but I just want in a... In a, I mean this in a positive way. I want to stick my tongue out at all the world and say, look at what God done before I go home. That's what I want to do. And then I'm good to go. But if God don't want me to see that or he's just ready to send, for, I'm good with that too. But I want to see my God move one more time. I've told you a story about my grandpa a week ago. Many of us that's been in the faith a long time, we can tell you stories about grandparents and great-grandparents that didn't have nothing but pot-bellied stoves to warn old churches, and they would get to shouting, and the power of God would fall in that place because some of them had nothing, and they would just go and lay their hand on the stove not knowing it and not even get a stitch of smoke smell on them. You see, that's when people used to live by faith and walk by faith and pray by faith and God would respond to their faith. And that's what God's looking to do. When that happens, you won't have to buy ads on Facebook to tell people about it. You won't have to tweet it. You won't have to text somebody and say, guess what God did today? Nope, you'll be able to go to Richard Bowles up there and all of a sudden God says to some saint of God who nobody knows, I'm not through with them. Go lay your hand on that coffin and call their name out. And then they get up and they walk and glorify God God can still do it I know if I could see you you would be gloating at me like I'm a fool but I'm telling you my God is alive he's real and he's doing it somewhere the question today is will he do it here well I don't know Opie 
We're worried. I'll get embarrassed if I pray. You know how many times I've prayed? Do you know how many times? I'm not even going to get specific with needs because a lot different people are watching. I've prayed years over all kinds of needs. I prayed till I almost didn't want to pray every time I prayed because I got tired of praying. But there's something happens when you do it again. Elisha, pour one more bucket of water. There's something about that threshold that goes from faith talking to faith walking and then the divine happens. The divine happens. A lot of people have needs that are only going to be met that way through faith. A lot of people can leave this life in bondage to some kind of pain or disease or ailment or some kind of setback or a saint of God can rise up somewhere and say, I'm through with this world. I'm not choked by material things. I don't care about stuff. I'm the centurion that I'm not even worthy to call myself a Christian, but praise be to God I am. God's going to move. I want you to close your eyes if you are not driving a vehicle or you where you can. God, this morning, you are doing it. It's not even that you are ready. Somewhere, somebody is living out what I said, Lord. Somebody's living out true faith. And it's just like God, a nature display. When this happens, this happens. When you water a seed and you put fertilizer on it, it grows into a plant. That's exactly what happens. We don't have to ask you. We don't have to say maybe you will do it this time. We don't have to have a mentality that says that we're going to try. God, nothing about anything I just said resembles faith. Faith will cost me something that I'm almost apprehensive, but I know that your word is true. And I'm praying, Lord, because if people are still logged on right now, it's because you want them to be full of faith. You want them to be full of faith. You want them not to judge every act of faith by the last. You want them to know that you are in control. And David said, I've never seen the righteous forsaken. And God, this morning, in this day and hour, where everything in the church world that's hip, that's famous, that's popular, it's got everything on it, but it doesn't have divine intervention. It doesn't have miracle working power on it, Lord. And we can't fake that. 
If you are not a believer, the Lord God wants to save you. The Bible says, for it's by the grace of God through faith, it's a gift. And just like the centurion, all you have to do is say, Lord, I believe. I believe. I believe. Forgive me of my sins. I want to live out my life the way you want me to live it out. Whatever the remainder of my life is, help me to be bold. Help me to be humble. And know that I can take you at your word that you are the God of all authority. Hallelujah. God's speaking to you while we worship. God's speaking.
words of that song says, your promise still stands. You can go to your grave seeing God do the same thing. Listen to me. As he did in the life of Paul, Peter, John the Baptist, Timothy, we can go on and on and on. The hand of God is not short, it's not slack. And I want you to you to know this. The next day of your life, the devil needs to see you walking around with this mentality. God's give you all you need. We've got to stir up the faith that's inside of us. We've got to believe the Lord. If somebody that was not raised and didn't even have any business knowing about Jesus, then how much more should you and I? He died on the cross for me, man. So great faith, little, is all it takes to take care of anything and everything in your life. Father, I pray this week that you, according to our faith, like you said it, Lord, show us great and mighty things that we know not of and let the words of our mouths and the meditations of our heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our redeemer.